How's everybody doing? Kind of quiet. It's uh, the Sunday after Christmas Eve. Seems pretty fitting, but uh, so glad to have you here. Those of you that are, uh, whether you're here or uh, watching online, uh, if you are new and visiting for the very first time, love to connect with you. Uh, easy way to do that is text that word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314, follow the prompts, and uh, we'd love to start a relationship with you because re- church is all about relationships, right? Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, and so that's just an easy way for us to uh, start that path uh, with you this morning. But hey, I do want to say a big thanks to all of you who helped for our Christmas Eve service. Raise your hand if you're at our Christmas Eve service at East Helena High School. Yeah, many of you were were there. Lots of people from our community showed up, and so very thankful for all of you who helped. Uh, We couldn't do it without you. I was sick the entire week before, and I wasn't even on stage, and it was a blessing for me uh, to be able to just walk in and and just enjoy everything, and uh, everything just went wonderful, and so, so very grateful. Uh, for all of you that helped and uh, just had a, had a part in, in uh, blessing our community. Hey, we're going to jump right in to uh, some thoughts this morning. It's uh, December 31st. Uh, tomorrow is a new year. We're going to talk a little bit about Christmas and not so much in the past, but in the future a little bit. So Revelation chapter 12, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me this morning. Christmas is over. Raise your hand if you're happy about that. Some of you, raise your hand if you're not happy about that. Some of you are like, I wish Christmas was every day. Well, I don't know what you'd be like. I I, I tend to lean more on the, I'm kind of happy it's over. And uh, some, you know, sometimes I'm accused of being the Grinch of Christmas. Uh, And you're like, you don't like Christmas? It's the birth of our Savior. Like, I like that part. It's just all the other stuff I'm not so fond of, you know, all the, all the pressure, all the other things that we make Christmas about. Uh, but Christmas is over nonetheless, and we, uh, of course, need to move on and beyond Christmas. And I think that's a necessary thing to look past Christmas. And here's why Jesus didn't come just to put on human flesh, all right? Jesus didn't come just to appear he didn't come just to grace the, the world with his presence. He, he came for so much more. He came to bring salvation to the world. And that's the most important thing. If you recall in Matthew's gospel where the shepherds are you know, keeping watch over their flock by night and all of a sudden these angels appear and they declare this amazing message, behold, a, a son is born. A son is brought to you. And they, they didn't say like, uh, a son has come, God has come in the flesh just to be, uh, be present with you so that you could have a holiday called Christmas to celebrate. They said these very words in Matthew, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, a savior, right? That, that's the most important uh, thing that we, we could recall and consider about Christmas. The world needed a savior. And the world still needs a savior. Amen, church? The world still needs a savior. That's the most important thing uh, that Christmas brought into the world. And if we fail to recognize that, if we fail to remember that, listen, we do Christmas and we do Jesus a great injustice. Would you agree with that this morning? I think maybe some of you do, some of you don't. It's going to be a hard crowd this morning, right? You guys, you guys with me? With me this morning? Yeah. You can stay up late. You're prepping, I see. Well... <clears throat> We, we need to look to the future this morning, and the future is what I want us to consider, and I suppose that's a very fitting thing for us to do on December 31st, is to look 
to the future, to consider the future, to look ahead and to ponder really what lies ahead for you, for God's people, to consider the hope of Christmas, uh, that Christmas is still yet to bring. What will happen in the future? That's a question that uh, we often ponder and consider in our lives, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about the future, do we not? Uh, in fact, for a lot of you, you're, you're thinking about like, what does the future hold? What, what does the new year hold? What does it hold for my family, my health, my job, my, my relationships? What does the future hold? Like we are consumed by thoughts of the future. And I think that's a, a natural thing for us to do as human beings, right? Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's a natural thing for us to, to think about our own personal futures. But I, I want you to consider, I want us to consider as God's people, God's church, what's God's future? What's God's ultimate plan? What does the future look like? And, 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 and should that like impact our lives and, and how we live out tomorrow, how we consider 2024, not just how it impacts us, our, our, our days ahead, but how does God's ultimate plan and the anticipation of that affect our lives tomorrow as we wake up and, and approach a new year? Do we actually anticipate and find hope in the future that God has already established. Listen, I don't do that enough. <clears throat> I don't consider and I don't, I don't uh, uh, think about the future that God has enough. I often get consumed by the here and now, by the temporal things, by the, the things that maybe I want to happen, rather than considering what does God have in the future? What is his plan and how, how is that going to affect my life today? What is still yet to come. And I want you to know today that what's to come is more joyful, it's more hopeful than even the event of Christmas. Like what's to come, uh, like uh, it ought to brighten our hearts and our minds uh, more so the in, than the anticipation of opening presents on a Christmas morning. And it has nothing to do, listen, that anticipation of the future has nothing to do with an election year. It has nothing to do with the economy. It has nothing to do with your business. It has nothing to do with your success or whatever else we hope to, to happen in the new year. But it has everything to do with God's ultimate plan. And his plan is still about Jesus. Amen? His plan is still about Jesus. It always was and it always will be. And so our focus on, on, on the future ought to be on Jesus, not on an election year. Not, not on the world events, uh, not on the stock market or whatever else we make it. Our focus ought to be on Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Like we ought, we ought to focus our attention and our thoughts on the person of Jesus, not just past, but also future. What does God have for us? And so, Revelation chapter 12, if you're not there uh, quite yet this morning, go ahead and find your place there. We'll have the scripture up on the screen as we always do. But by way of introduction, if you're kind of new uh, to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is primarily about things that are yet to come. The first seven chapters deal with the seven churches and how Jesus reveals himself to John who is exiled on this Isle of Patmos and he has this vision of the glorified Jesus Christ and Jesus uh, tells him to write down these things, these visions, not only to the present churches there in Asia Minor, but to us today, God has a message. I want you to write these things down for people at a church in 2023, soon to be 24, sitting in East Helena, Montana, so that they would consider their future hope. 
And so the book of Revelation is amazing. Absolutely amazing. When you think about it, that, that God would actually, think about this, show us the end. Isn't that amazing? That, that God would reveal to you and I as Christians today the things that are yet to come, that God actually wants you to know and to be prepared for what's to come. And I want you to know this morning, that ought to change how you live. It ought to impact that hope, that anticipation, that knowledge, that understanding, that victory that is yet to come ought to impact how you live, Christian. It ought to change your joy. It ought to change your hope. It ought to change your perspective. And that's really the purpose, I think, of Revelation. Reveal to the, to the saints of God, God's ultimate plan, that, that God says, like, I'm in control of history. Like, never lose sight of that fact. No matter how much we look at the world and, and see that the world's burning down, God's in control of history, church. God has an ultimate plan. And listen, that ought to bring us great joy. That ought to uh, bring us great hope. That ought to give us a great anticipation. In a way, we ought to be glad that Christmas is over, right? Because what is to come, and I know that doesn't sit well for a lot of you because, again, a lot of you wish Christmas was every single day. And uh, there's some people in the room that are like, I hate you for that. Like, you know, I don't want that kind of thing, right? Uh, but let's take a look at our text this morning and see what we can discover from God's word and the anticipation of what is to come. Revelation chapter 12. And uh, we're going to take some time. I'd say this is like more of like a, a teaching moment than it is a preaching moment because there's some things that we need to understand about Revelation. And I'll just say this, this at the beginning. Most of us look at Revelation and be like, oh, just avoid that book. Right? It's too confusing. It's too hard to understand. And, and, and maybe you let YouTube you know, define for you what Revelation is all about. Please don't do that. Right? Be, be cautious about where you get your information. But we often avoid Revelation. Because they're like, man, I don't understand it. And, and I, it's all these mysterious signs and all these things. Like there is something we can learn and understand about the book of Revelation that we need to spend some time in it here this morning. And starting in verse number one of Revelation chapter 12, notice with me, it says it's a great sign appeared in heaven. I want you to just like underline that, make a note of it. We'll kind of circle back and define this here in a moment. But so important to understand, John is being given a sign sign from God. He's been given a vision. He's been given something that God is revealing to him. And it's defined here as a sign, a symbol uh, that appears in heaven. It says this, a woman clothed with a sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. That's a pretty spectacular sign. Do you not agree? Right? I mean, that's kind of amazing when you think about it. This sign, this woman that appears with the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars, it says she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And so John sees this and God reveals it to him uh, for a reason. And he writes these things down for you and I to understand. And he gives another sign in verse three. And he says, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven uh, heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. It sounds like something out of Harry Potter, does it not? Right? In his tail, it says, verse 4, swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. In verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is 
to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the women fled into the wilderness, verse 6, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Here's what we're going to focus in on this morning. There's not several points. There's not three points, four points. There's one point, one main thing we're going to focus on, and that is this is that Christmas isn't just about looking back. It's about looking ahead. We spend so much of our time, especially Christmas, and there's really nothing wrong with it, of course, because we ought to remember and we ought to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the fact that God put human flesh on, came to this world and lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, went to that cross, died for us, was buried for us, and rose again from the grave. The message of the gospel is wrapped up in Christmas, but that's not the end of the story. But that's what we focus on. And we spend so much time looking back in our lives. And a lot for a lot of you as Christians, so much of your life is looking back on past events. And that's great and that's good. But God's like, there's a future. There's a hope. There's a promise. And Christmas isn't just about looking back. It is about looking ahead. And here in Revelation 12, we get a picture of Christmas. Listen to this from God's perspective. That God gives John this this, uh, perspective of Christmas, and it's really a behind-the-scenes look of this cosmic battle that was at play during Christmas, the cosmic battle between good and between evil, this ultimate cosmic battle. This is the first Star Wars, right? For those of you that are Star Wars fans out there, like, this is the first Star Wars, right? This is this epic battle that we see being played out in the heavens, the battle between God and Satan, the battle between good and evil, and it comes to a climax, the very end of Revelation, and we'll get to that at the end of the the message this morning. But here in Revelation 12, we get a small glimpse into this battle. I want to challenge you this morning, because you may think, like, I'm so detached from this. Like, how could this have any meaning? Like, why would this be important for me? I want you to consider the implications of this future reality for yourself this morning. I want you to think about your life right now. I I, I want you to to consider for just a moment the perspective of life that you have right now because we have a tendency at times, even as Christians, to live very despondent lives. We have a tendency at times as Christians to think like, like life would be good if my finances were better. Life would be good if my relationships would be better. Life would be good if my health was better. And we begin to to go through life thinking that it's just the here and now, that the best that we can have is what we have here. And nothing could be further from the truth. And we often lose hope and we lose joy and we lose purpose because we neglect to look ahead. We neglect to focus on the end. And and listen, there's so much to be hopeful for as a believer in Christ. In fact, we did a series on heaven. In fact, we'll circle back to that at some point in the near future. But, But if you're curious about heaven, and you're curious about what is awaiting you, man, go back, go to our YouTube channel, Lightpoint Church Montana, and, and find that series on heaven because you'll be, you'll be amazed at what God has for us. But there's so much to be hopeful for. There's so much that we need to anticipate that is yet to come. And I think that's the purpose of Revelation, so that we might learn to live our lives here in the muck, in the evil, and all the stuff that we deal with in life, understanding There's a hope yet to come. That no matter the trials 
And no matter the hardships, no matter the losses that we face, we have something so much better awaiting for us. And so if you don't have that hope today, first, let me tell you this morning, it's through Jesus. And some of you that might be here and you might be like, you know, I've lived a long life and I tried to fill the hole and the gap in my life with all kinds of things in the world and it's not satisfying. Listen, that hole in your heart is Jesus. He is the one that can fill it. He is the one that you need. He is the hope that you need, the person of Jesus Christ. He came, he put on human flesh. He lived a sinless life. He died for your sins that you might have life. And he sits on the throne of God today desperately wanting a relationship with you. If you don't have that hope, you need that hope. But maybe you have that hope this morning. Maybe you have the hope of Jesus, but you've lost sight. You've lost sight of the end picture. You've lost sight of the hope that is awaiting for you. You've lost sight of this, this goal, this end picture, this victory that church Jesus will have. And we need to be reminded of that truth this morning. And so my hope is to maybe restore just a little bit of that in your hearts and your minds this morning through Revelation chapter 12. And so let's unpack this a little bit, shed some light on what's happening here this morning. And again, very much more a teaching aspect, I suppose, than a preaching aspect. But we need to understand what is happening in Revelation 12. Who is this woman? Who is the red dragon? Who is the child? And why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, first I want you to notice this phrase, a great sign appeared in heaven. In your Bible, it might say a great, a great wonder appeared in heaven, something of great significance. And Revelation is full of this, full of signs, full of symbols, full of wonders that God reveals to John to write down for you, the church today, that you might know, that you might have hope in knowing the end and knowing what's to come. And so Revelation is really full of these things, these markers, if you will, uh, that indicate God's work, God's hand, God's plan. And so signs are simply this. They're symbols that point us to a reality or a destination. If you're driving down the highway and you're in a new place, a new town, and you know uh, maybe you're following your GPS, your phone, and it says, hey, in 10 miles, you're going to take exit 214 and, and bear to the right. Or you're watching the signs and you come up and you see hey, this sign that says, you know, in 10 miles, this is your destination. It's merely a sign. It's merely a symbol. It's not the destination. But it's pointing to the place you're going. It's pointing to the destination. And the same is true when it comes to signs and wonders in Revelation. So important to understand. Uh, because the sign here, the wonder that we first see, this, this woman, this uh, woman that, that is pregnant, and she, she has this imagery about her with the sun and the moon. This sign here, or wonder, is really personified as a woman. And many times in Scripture... You see that happening where a woman is used to personify various things. One example is wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Many of you women should be like, yes, yes, God chose a woman to personify wisdom, right? The writer of Proverbs says, wisdom, she cries out in the street saying, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And so a woman is used to, to personify the idea of wisdom. But who is this woman here? In Revelation chapter 12, as you can imagine, lots of various opinions, but I believe the most logical explanation is this, and this is my opinion. You take it for what it's worth, but I believe the woman is Israel. 
I believe that the woman that is being personified, symbolizing the sign of a woman here, is the nation of Israel. The woman can't be married, right? She cannot be married because Mary does not flee for her life into the wilderness. And what you have here in Revelation is looking at a past event and also looking at a future event. It's looking at the birth of Jesus, and then it's also looking at the tribulation period. The nation of Israel will flee. The remnant of Israel will actually flee during the tribulation time. Mary doesn't flee. She's not here, right? And so it can't be Mary. Uh, And it also cannot be the church. The woman here cannot be the church because the church does not give birth to the Savior. Who gives birth to the Savior? The nation of Israel gives birth to the Savior, right? And so the woman is Israel. One of of the markers of that is on her head. It says uh, there's a crown of 12 stars. 12 stars is a reference to uh, the tribes, the nations uh, of the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in verse 2, it says the woman was pregnant and she's crying out in birth pains and in agony giving birth. And this is really just simply a picture of through through the centuries, the nation of Israel, the pain, the tribulation, the oppression that they faced in bringing forth the Messiah through their nation, the promised seed that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And so it's a picture of the suffering and the turmoil that Israel faced realizing the Messiah is coming. And it all sounds very complicated and it all sounds very mysterious. But when we begin to understand within the context who these people are referring to, it begins to make more sense. And so John sees this and he says it's a great a great sign of a woman in birth pains. And again, symbol of Israel, their struggle through history, right, to bring forth the Messiah. But there's another sign. There's another sign. John sees another sign, and God reveals this to John for a purpose, to understand there's a cosmic battle. There's something happening behind the scenes that that we often do not see and do not understand. We just kind of focus on life, and God's like, there's a spiritual realm, and there's a spiritual battle. And some of you this morning are very, very aware of that. You're very aware because you understand the battle that is going on in your life from a spiritual standpoint, and God wants to awaken us to that reality. And so he sees another sign, and it's a sign of a great red dragon. Great red dragon. Pretty interesting. And I want us to understand that we're looking backwards at this point. God is revealing this to John, and he's looking backwards at something that has already happened. We're seeing history, God's history unfold, not from our perspective, man's perspective, but from God's perspective. And it's really spectacular. And so notice again in verse three, three and four, it says, and another sign appeared in heaven. John sees this. Behold, the great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that uh, when she bore her child, he might do this, devour it, kill it, murder it. And here we have the imagery of Satan personified as a great red dragon. Understand this morning, Satan's not a dragon, like pitchfork and horns. He's not a dragon. But he's personified as a dragon. This is another symbol that represents, listen to me, his power and his fearsomeness. His ten horns, seven diadems on his head, represents power. In fact, uh, kingdoms that will rise again on this earth, that Satan, the prince and power of this heir, will have power and authority over. In verse 4, it tells us that his tail, proverbially, that's a hard word to say, 
swept down a third of the stars of heaven. Did actual stars fall from heaven? I don't think so. I think this is a reference to fallen angels. And it's kind of interesting to note that only a third fell, and there's still two-thirds of the angels that are still worshiping the God uh, of heaven that created them, right? And so this is looking backwards at this event. So you have this woman who is Israel. You following me so far? He's like, oh, what are you talking about, right? This woman who is Israel, ready to give birth, and the dragon who is Satan stands before the woman ready to devour her child. Again, whose perspective? God's perspective. And this is the picture that God sees, the picture that God reveals to him, and this event has already transpired. In fact, we read in in Matthew chapter two, if you recall, when Jesus was born and all those events, we spent so much time in the past looking at the birth of Christ and the wise men and they come and they declare to Herod, hey, a king, where is your king that is to be born of the Jews? Like they know this and they come and Herod, who is this pseudo king and and he's gripping for power and he's gripping for, for notoriety and he wants this position, is threatened. A king? You say, there's a king. What does Herod do? Herod, it says in Matthew chapter 2, it'll be on the screen, chapter 2 and verse 16, Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, and then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah that centuries before Jeremiah said, this event will happen. He says in verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, who is a picture of a mother of the nation of Israel, she says she's weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Who is ultimately behind all of that? Satan. You see, God is giving John this picture of the cosmic battle between between God and Satan, between the Messiah and Satan, that the dragon is there ready to devour this child. And that already happened, and he didn't succeed. He didn't succeed. And so who is this child that he's trying to devour? Uh, Well, none other than the Messiah, amen? Uh, The the seed of a woman who would one day crush the serpent's head. The Bible is so amazing because it's so connected from beginning to end, you see this picture unfolding that, that, that centuries and thousands of years before, all of this was predicted that it would happen, and it happened in the people, the religious people especially at the time. They missed it. They didn't see it. But yet it happened. Jesus said, I said it would, and it did. And here is what's yet to come. And we often miss all of these things. But Genesis chapter 3, all the way way back in the garden, Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, we won't read it, but you have the curse on Satan because of sin. And and God uh, curses the serpent. But he says this in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And this is this future-oriented thing that will happen between between the woman, the nation of Israel, and, and Satan, between you and your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who's he speaking of? The Messiah that would come from the woman, the nation of Israel, that would one day conquer Satan once and for all. The the battle has been going, right? Since Genesis chapter 3, and for thousands of years, Israel was in the pain of bringing forth the promised seed, the seed of a woman who would crush the serpent's head, except now the imagery is not a serpent. The imagery is what? He's a great red dragon. And so this is the epic cosmic battle. Let's read on. 
Let's read on in, in chapter 12, verses 5 through 6. And it says this in verse 5. We, we get a little more of the story, the history of, of what happened. Again, looking back, the perspective of God showing to John and showing us this is what happened. She gave birth to a male, male child. The incarnation the birth of Jesus Christ, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But then it says this, but her child was caught up to God into his throne. John gets this picture. God kind of fast forwards the story. A lot happened from the birth of Jesus to the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? And he skips over all of that information. And verse 6 tells us of a future event. The woman, who is the nation of Israel, fled into the wilderness, speaking about the tribulation time, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. We don't have time to look into that. But here we have Christmas past and Christmas future from the perspective of God. She, Israel, gave birth to a male child. Seven words, short phrase, tells us this. Messiah came, he accomplished salvation through the cross, and then he ascended. A lot of the story is skipped over. Why? Because Revelation is written to the church, for the church. That's you, by the way. You're the church. A lot of people think like, oh, this building is the church. No, it's not. Oh, the pastor's the church. I have a lot of people that tell me, pastor, your church. And I am quick to say, it's not my church. <laughs> it's your church. Because you're the church. You have, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. You are the church. You embody the church. And that is so important for you to understand it and know. But God wants the church, you, to know the future. God wants you, Christian, in a dark, messed up world that has no light, no understanding of what's true and what's false. Read the news. Do you think they can discern what's true and what's false? No, they can't. But they have you, the church, that knows the end and has a hope and has an anticipation and lives life so drastically differently because they know no matter what you face and the garbage and the trials and the hardships, all the issues you face in life, that it does not matter. Your hope is not here. And I know I'm yelling. I'm sorry. <laughs> Your hope ain't here. And I know on a Sunday morning, it's so easy to amen that. It's so easy to be like, yeah, that's so true. But then hard times hit. And you wonder, do I really believe that? The trials hit and the loss hits your life and your health or the health of your kids is taken away and you question these things. Do I really believe this? And if we're honest, often it's not. And so we need to like reorient our thinking. What is true? What is God's ultimate plan? What is the real hope? What is the real promise? God's like, I wrote a book for you so that you might walk through this dirty planet with the hope of knowing the end, knowing the end of the story, knowing the victory that is to come. What does God want us to know what happens in the end? What's the purpose of all of this? Because he knows the suffering you're going to face. And he knows the trials. And he knows the evil and the hardships that his own children will face in this life. And he doesn't want you to lose hope. Listen, if your hope is in America, good luck. Right? If your hope is in a new president in an election, like to turn the nation around, you know, it ain't about that. There's a bigger hope and there's something so much more eternal. And as Christians, we lose sight of that. We think the greatest battle is the battle 
the battle for our nation, the battle for whatever we make it about. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. There's a cosmic battle. And if you lose sight of that, you will be a person who loses your joy, loses your hope, becomes despondent. We need a biblical perspective on the future, and we need that now because the truth is that for a lot of us, we get so sidetracked in our thinking. We get so sidetracked. We come to the end of another year and we wonder all these things about a new year. A lot of us were fixated on the temporal things. What's going to happen in the new year? The money, the relationships, the next big event of life. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But let me just remind you, because this is my job, is to remind you of what's true and what's important. All of those things, they're great and they're good. They're just not the most important thing. And they're not going to be the things that are going to keep you rooted in Christ. They're not going to be the things that are going to be, yeah, keep you rooted in the right perspective, especially when life gets hard. What does keep us centered as Christians? Christmas future. <laughs> not just looking back on what Jesus has done, but looking ahead at what Jesus will do. And in verse 5, we, we get a small, small glimpse it says she gave birth to a male child, the incarnation. But then John gives us, God gives us this, this one little phrase to like, let us know this Messiah is not done. Like Christmas isn't the end of the story. The resurrection of Jesus isn't the end of the story. It says this, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Do you know that Jesus will one day rule the earth? It's called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. For a thousand years, Jesus himself will reign physically on planet Earth. Here's, here's an amazing reality. that The revelation, the Bible actually tells us that we will come back and reign. The saints of God will come back and reign with Jesus on the physical Earth. What an amazing reality. And it's been spoken of time and time again. Hey, let me remind you. Who is really the ruler? Who is really the authority? Who will rule one day? It's Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And it always will be about Jesus. He will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Here's a few references to kind of make note of in Revelation at the very beginning in chapter 2. This is the one who conquers. Who is that? That's Jesus. And who keeps my works until the end. Who is that? That's Jesus. To him, I will, excuse me, give authority over the nations. And he'll rule them with a rod of iron as when, when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, Jesus will rule. He is the one who conquers. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God Almighty, the epic cosmic battle that begun so long ago in the Garden of Eden where God promised the child to strike the head of the serpent will gain victory once and for all that the epic battle will one day be over. In Revelation chapter 20, listen to this, when a thousand years are ended, remember I said Jesus will reign physically on planet Earth for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be released. God will release Satan from his prison uh, for that time that he was in prison for a thousand years, and Satan will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints, uh, saints in the beloved city. It's like, oh, that sounds bad. Satan's going to amass his army, 
And he's going to come with nations all over the earth to come and destroy God and his people. And my favorite verse in the Bible, <laughs> you're like, that's kind of dark. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. In a moment. I was like, we're done. The cosmic battle is over. And it says in verse 10, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur with a beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God wins the cosmic battle. And I know you know this. I, I know you have this intellectual understanding of all of that stuff. That's the end of the story. We win. God wins in the end. I know you know. But does that impact your life today? <laughs> Do you actually live with a hope and anticipation that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how dirty this planet Earth is, and the hardships that I will face, because you will face hardships, it doesn't matter. Because God is the ultimate victor. And I'm just thankful I'm one of his. I'm just thankful that the grace of God has been poured out on me, and I'm his child. Do you have that hope today? Guys, that's Christmas future. There's so much more in the book of Revelation. There's so much more that God, God reveals to us. Because like, I want you to know the end so that you live differently today. There's hope, Christian. There's hope for, 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 for all the stuff that we go through in life. And, and it's written for you. In Revelation 22, 16, we'll, I'll close with this verse. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about these things that I've written, all of this stuff, Revelation 22, the very end. Hey, look, this is for, listen to, you, listen to this. I've written these down for what? For the churches. I've written this down for you so that you might have hope. This is for you today, right now. Christmas isn't just about looking back, Christian. It's about looking ahead. Would you stand as our praise team gets ready to come back up? As we get ready to close this morning, Christmas isn't just about looking back. It's about looking ahead. What's your hope founded in today? What's your hope founded in? What, 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 have you become a little despondent over the, the current? You look around in America. You look around at our world. You're like, oh, my gosh, what else could go wrong? What else could go wrong? And it's easy to become despondent, it's easy to despair, it's easy to lose hope. Have you lost your focus? So easy to do. So easy to do. God wants you and I to not just look back, but to look ahead. What's to come? God wants you to focus on Christmas future. Is that where your focus and your hope is today? You know, if it is, your life's going to be different. Your joy is going to be different. Uh, the people that are looking for answers, they're looking to see, like, is it real? Is Jesus real? Is your hope real? Or is this just something you do on Sunday morning? Is it real? The world is looking to you to define that truth this morning. And Christian, today, if there was ever a time where the church needed to be hopeful and focused on the right things. Oh, it's now. People ask me all the time, is Jesus coming? Uh, yeah. Like, like, are we getting closer? Yeah, every day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Nobody does. But our focus, it shouldn't just be on the end. 
It ought to be on the reality. Yes, the end is coming. But it ought to, ought to sober our minds. What do I do today? What's most important right now because of what's to come? Christian, let's live differently in light of Christmas future. Let's have a hope and anticipation and an understanding of the great victor, Jesus, who will one day rule. He will rule. Where does your hope lie? God, this morning we're so thankful as we just take like such a small glimpse at the future and what's to come. God, help us to keep our focus on the end goal, to look ahead, to not just look behind and say, you've done it all. You haven't. There's more to be done. God, give us a hope and anticipation of your, your full future plan that, that, is, that is being played out, revealed to us even now. And help us to live differently in light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you worship one last time with us?